What is a man? Guys, this is a question that culture is asking right now when it comes to looking at gender. What is a woman? Well, we're going to look at that question on today's episode with my guest. Today, I'm joined by theologian Austin Kreutz. So Austin is a graduate of Ashland Theological Seminary. He's currently serving as the pastor of Restoration Christian Community Church in Michigan, and he is a member of the Evangelical Theological Society and Philosophical Society, and he is the president of the Bonhoeffer Forum for Church and Culture. Austin is very well-versed in what's happening right now with our cultural dialogue and offers us a kingdom perspective on how we should answer this question, what is a man? Let's get into it. This is Raising the Standard, Leadership, Mindset, and Development for the Ambitious Christian Man. Identify, unlock, and access spiritual secrets and strategies grounded in biblical truth so you can run your race and maximize your impact and influence. It's time to lead yourself, your family, and your world. Let's get after it. Welcome to another episode of Raising the Standard, Leadership, Mindset, and Development for the Kingdom-Driven Man. Today's episode, I'm joined by a good friend, someone that I look to as a mentor. He's been a pastor, he's a teacher, and he's just got a long list of credentials of why he's qualified to have this conversation. And I'm joined by Austin Kreutz. Austin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you. Yeah, Austin, you and I have been having some great conversations. I had a chance to meet with you personally, live and in person just a few weeks ago. And um, we were having some great conversations about the crisis of manhood right now. And I thought it'd be great to bring this conversation into the light for my audience to hear. We got a tribe of ambitious Christian men. These guys are in business and we're all looking to step up our leadership and be the man that God created us to be. So I want to talk to you specifically about where we are right now in history, because you have this whole political side as well. And you're someone I respect and look up to in terms of helping us navigate the current time that we find ourselves in. So just to go a little bit further to set this up for you to walk right into it, um, we've had this new question enter the cultural dialogue not too long ago with one of our newest Supreme Court justices when she was asked to define what a woman is. And the question that came back is, you know, the question that was posed is, what is a woman? And I want you and I to dialogue not only about where we are culturally, but also answer the fundamental question, not the way the world sees it, not the way Hollywood tells us, not the way marketing and brands and corporations are trying to shape it or the news narrative. I want to answer the question from a biblical perspective, from the way God created men to be. So my question for you is, what is a man? Well, that's a very interesting question, because if you, if you saw the Matt Walsh movie, the first thing that strikes you is that uh, the question that is being asked is actually not the question of what is a woman. It's how do we deal with reality? Um, because there's only two sexes. There's man and there's woman. And what our current culture is trying to do is demasculate men to make you feel more uh, effeminate, more caring. And I'm not saying that that's not something that maybe some of us could really use. 
but there's a total difference of perspective between men and women. Women have a very soft touch. They're very encouraging. Men, on the other hand, are very much focused on goals and on pretty much the oversight of their families. And a lot of people do not understand what the whole concept is when we're talking in the Genesis 3 routine about uh, he will rule over you. Many people look at that as a domination thing. Matter of fact, one of the theological perspectives that's been going around is male headship to the point that women become a slave rather than a partner. And that's not a biblical perspective. God made us very different. And part of that is the way that we, um, the way that we parent. When a child falls on the sidewalk, the mother rushes and says, oh, honey, honey, I love you. It's okay. The father says, will you peel your face off of the sidewalk and get up and get moving? And both balances are needed. You know, Paul Vitz, um, a well-known NYU psychologist, experimental psychologist, uh, did a study on uh, fatherlessness. And, and what we see, and the reason why we see so many single-parent kids uh, go into crime is because the parental balance between a man and a woman bring about a, a complete picture of, of God the father and, and God the mother. Now, you might say, well, what do you mean by that? God is Andromedus. He's both male and female. And to have a complete household with a father and a mother is to bring that whole complete Andromedus thing there, that balance between a mother who's loving and caring and a father who's also demanding and setting a, a direction for his sons and his daughters. It's, it's particularly in the case of a daughter, very imperative that a father realizes that his influence on his daughter is actually giving her a model of what to look for in a mate. And, and our society is just ripping this to shreds. Um, I know that uh, in London there's concepts and ideas of sexuality now that, that say basically there's 25 genders. Um, you know, we have in our own culture a variety of different genders. And, and here in Michigan, we have a horrific uh, proposition, Proposition 3, that will expand that to the point of um, sexual changes and even the removal of parental rights. Like if your 12-year-old daughter wants to uh, have a, have sex with her teacher, as long as she gives consent, um, there's no crime committed. And oh, if she gets pregnant, um, she can have an abortion without you even knowing it. So it's it, it is a vital thing right now for guys to start being guys. And, and that definition, I think, is what we really want to get into and talk about. Well, that's, um, that's crazy. I see it coming. It's already here. It's at our, it's at our doorstep right now. Some of those things that you're talking about. I want to, I want to back up to the attack that's happening on men right now in culture. We see it through, you know, a couple of years ago, we had the Gillette commercial that stirred up a lot of stuff. Then we had the, the word toxic masculinity enter the culture. Um, what is this? You know, you talked about the demasculinization of men. Where's that coming from? Why? Why? Well, here's the thing. If we if we look at the pattern in Genesis three, the serpent didn't talk to Adam; he talked to Eve, and it's kind of the backdoor uh, way of getting into uh, having an influence within the family. Um, you know that the the uh, vacuum cleaner salesman doesn't come during the evening when the husband is home. 
It comes when the wife is alone and all these attachments and everything and easy payments and all you have to do is just sign here. And I'm not I'm not saying that women are inept or whatever. There's just a very different way of thinking. And so a guy thinks extremely logically and analytically. And not only that, he stands as the protector. And I, again, I'm not I'm not demeaning women or saying that they can't protect. But the tendency is for us that if somebody is knocking on our door, for us to protect the family, protect the standards, protect the, 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 the ethics. And so in order to bring about a feminization in our culture, what basically has taken place is that we've heard of toxic masculinity or, or white supremacy. Uh, these are the things that are being thrown out to basically say that a man's perspective and a man being kind of like a John Wayne in some respects is something that is totally unacceptable in a culture. You know, we, we have today, we have, uh, we have the remnant of our World War II vets, you know, those 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds that uh, stormed the beaches of Normandy uh, are hardly the same type of 18 and 9-year-olds, that 19-year-olds uh, that we have today, which are into the video games and, and just basically have very little motivation. And, and that has basically opened up a whole can of worms of where we're at right now in the culture. Um, we don't have the Boy Scouts anymore. We have the Boys and Girls Club. Um, there, are, there are certain aspects that uh, allow us the opportunity of um, imparting to our sons what does it really mean to be a man. So Austin, I, I appreciate that commentary. When so I understand, you know, there's this false toxic masculinity. Anyone that wants to defend if a man has a mission, if a man has a vision for his life, if he's owning his role as a protector of his family, this is what we see that's under attack right now. And that's being labeled as toxic masculinity. My question for you, I think I might know the answer, but I want to hear your perspective. Is there actually something that you would call toxic masculinity is there a form of masculinity that actually is toxic yeah and and, and here you're going to probably um have a little bit of a ah, uh, when i say this when we are absent from the home because our whole focus is our our um our basic um career and advancement we can get into a situation where we're so focused on work that we lose the opportunity to really instill in our kids um, the basic values of life. You know, and it's under this auspices, and, and and I can understand the logic, and I've seen this of like, well, yeah, I, I we we I I have to provide a house and and this and our kids education and on and on it goes and you get so wrapped up into the corporate world that you lose the very foundation of what god has in store for you to be the leader of the family the visionary for the family so you spend extra time at work so you're focused so much on work that it consumes you now i understand the corporate world having worked you know for at&t and verizon and a couple of other organizations like that but there has to be a balance recently a friend of mine was working for a mortgage organization and plainly told them that he uh, had promised his daughter that 
on vacation, they would go to a certain place. And so he was at work. He was getting ready to um, uh, leave because of taking his daughter and being on vacation. And they came to him and they said, well, you're going to have to work this weekend and you're going to have to do this, that and the other thing. And he says, wait a minute, I've already put in for, for vacation. You know, and I'm I'm going to have my daughter this weekend, and we're going to go away. And no, no, you have to work. And 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 so he sat at his desk, contemplating his career, versing his family. Walked up to his boss and very politely said, "Thank you for the opportunity. I quit and walked out." Now that may be an extreme to some people, but you only have one shot at your kids. And and uh, I just turned seventy, and it, you 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 look in the mirror and go, where did the last you know so many years go? And so our priorities can get really messed up to the point that it consumes us, that work consumes us, or sports consumes us, or our our objectives consume us. That brings into another point of of uh, toxicity where we have our career and we get to a certain point in our career and we realize that our ambitions and our goals are never going to be met. Uh, some people call this a midlife crisis, but some people have midlife crises right in the age of their early 20s. And that is that you take a look at your life and you say, well, where have I been and what am I doing and what what's happening? And these things can be very toxic. There is a balance between the priorities that we have. And our first priority, of course, is to Jesus Christ. And and um, our second priority is to our spouses. Our third priority is to our children. Our fourth priority is to service to God. And our fifth priority is our employment. And for some people, vocation and um, uh, calling are not mixed. Some people who's calling, like a pastor like myself, my vocation is my calling. Other people have uh, a vocation of working in a corporation, but they also have a spiritual calling as well. And everything needs to be in a balance. Otherwise, you can get way out of whack and way toxic. Many, many pastors, for instance, work way too many hours trying to minister to everybody else's needs, and then their kids are just plain old messed up because they've never had that opportunity to be with dad. Yeah, I've seen that before. And um, I appreciate that. I, I think that that's easy for us to do as men to to feel that we have to, hey, I'm providing, I'm doing my role, and then you're absent from the family. And I know there's been a couple seasons in my life where I noticed that and I, I kind of pulled back in and, and sometimes it was travel. Sometimes there were some extenuating circumstances put on me. But the one thing I'm, that's really striking me these days, Austin, is I've been reading through Deuteronomy as I focus on God's commands to man there and to fathers specifically, and to how to raise their household, lead their household, and raise their children. Um, I've really been struck recently, and a little convicted around it, where I'm being more intentional in this area, that it's it's not the church's job, it's not Christian school's job, it's not Veggie Tales, it's not just putting on you know a movie or some kind of Christian programming for your kids. It's the man's leadership mandate to lead his family and teach them the precepts and guide them into understanding who God is and really being the spiritual leader within the house. See, this requires that you yourself have a time of uh, not just devotion, but your own life. You can't give something that you don't have. 
and uh, what you're saying there is is extremely extremely important you know paul says that if you're going to be a leader of the church your household has to be in order you know and 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 in order basically uh, is is along those lines of what you're talking about not just in deuteronomy but if you can't manage your own household how are you going to manage the uh, the church of god which <laughs> would probably have way more problems than just your household but you're absolutely right on that and this is this is where guys need to really understand and have uh, an ability to, um, I would say, understand the word, come under discipleship themselves, come under mentoring themselves, understanding the word that it is not just a repetitive bunch of verses, but that you have a functional knowledge and a biblical worldview that you can uh, impart to others. I think that's vitally important. Uh, it's a rarity nowadays that over the pulpit a biblical worldview comes through, but men need to be able to research the uh, the scripture, uh, be the priest of the home, um, have their wife as an equal partner alongside of them. Um, these are these are the essentials, and the, the American family again is deteriorating, um, and, and it's under attack. There's just no other way of putting it. When you, when you talked about toxic masculinity, you went to a place I wasn't expecting you to go. It's important. I thought, and I'm sure there's very shades of how toxic masculinity can surface, but I see within the church, you, you mentioned this at the beginning of our conversation, um, the man or this outdated, like old school, I don't know where it came from, but it's definitely a view that the world has towards Christians that the man rules over the wife. And he's just, and, and I say that in a demeaning way, which is not the way you presented it. You know, there is this old school notion within some streams of Christianity where, you know, the man is this king and the family and the wife just exists to serve him. Um, can you kind of break that down a little bit and like, go ahead and destroy it and give us some Bible on that? Well, well what you're looking at is the, uh, the Ralph Cramden routine. I mean, you're looking at, a time period where it was fashionable to to be that type of king, you know, father knows best and leave it to beaver and all of those shows. Some of them showed a very compassionate, balanced uh, individual, but a lot of people took that the wrong way. I mean, there's there's this there's this movement out there where uh, guys are being taught that that the woman is basically your servant and and. She needs to ask, you know, permission for this, that, and the other thing. I mean, I talked with, I talked with one pastor's wife. Mentioned that we had a Bible study going on for kids, and she says, "Well, my husband is the one who makes the decisions on every matter in the home. Well, then, what, what do you do? I mean, you know, are you the living maid or, 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 or whatever?" But there's nowhere in the Scripture where it talks about uh, being a king. You know, to be a ruler is to be fair, is to have uh, an insight. You know, you, you you take a look at the Ephesians 5 thing, and the first thing they say is women are to submit. Well, that, that word submit isn't even in the Greek. What it's saying is respect your husband. Now, you, you get to the, the rest of the passage where the men are. What's the first thing? As Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Well, it's very simple. You know, die. I mean, that's just what it what it boils down to. So I hear complaints, my wife this, my wife that. Well, take a look at the rest of the passage that he may present to himself. What are you investing in that woman of yours? 
when was the last time you really complimented her on anything? When was the last time you brought home flowers or just took her out for dinner or got a babysitter and, and just spent time alone? The problem that we're having right now is that men do not understand that passage in Ephesians. When you die, what's going on is that you are you are dying to your own desires. You're not two married singles. You're you're you've taken on the responsibility of having a woman and 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 family, and you need to nurture her in that. You need to uplift her in that. You need to literally die to your own desires at times, you know. And and as you die, and as she sees you dying to things, I'll, I'll give you the best example. When we were first married, man, uh. We'd go into a fabric store and my wife would look at things and I was just like bored to tears. I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I don't get into fabrics. Well, you, you, you know, if you look at the picture, I'm, I read a lot. I'm into books. Well, my wife wasn't into a bookstore. But what started happening is I, you know, she would say, oh, you know, we're at the mall. Hey, there's a there's a fabric store. Let's go into Joanne Fabrics. And I would go, all right, let's go. And because I, I laid down my desires, okay, what started happening is she laid down some of hers desires. So this constant death to self and servanthood to another brings about the engine of the marriage in a situation where life changes at all points. I mean, you start off, you're, two, you're, you're a couple, then you have the kids, then the kids leave, you know. It's constant change. And the Hebrew word yada means to have this secret knowledge of, of your spouse that's in covenant relationship. And so as you grow older, there's new avenues, there's new challenges. If you don't invest in your wife when the kids are gone and you're an empty nester, the two of you are going to look at one another and go, who are you? Uh, and, and this is where I hear a lot of times when I'm doing counseling, well, I don't love her anymore, or I don't love him anymore. Well, what's happened? The relationship has never been nurtured. So guys, die to yourself. Serve your wife. Serve her in everything. Finances. Uh, do some cooking. Serve her in sex. Boy, there's a big one. You know, the, 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 the male domineering of like, you're here for my... No, 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 no. Serve her. If you serve her, she'll be serving you. And you'll have a lot more fulfillment of a relationship in all aspects. That's the difference between being a king and being a servant. I mean, if Jesus came to serve, who are you to think you're going to be a king? I mean, let's just get down to, to, to brass tacks about this. Uh, we've been married 47 years. I think we have a, we have a good marriage. Uh, we're, we're not in a situation of divorcing. Has things been smooth like, uh, you know, like ice? Well, no, well, there's, been, there's been differences and things in our relationship. But you have to understand that agape, when it says love, it means that you are committed to love that individual regardless of what goes on. Good example of this is when Johnny Erickson got her, uh, became a quadriplegic. She was engaged to a guy. Well, as soon as, uh, as soon as he found out that she was a quadriplegic, in other words, she had no use of her arms or legs, uh, he dropped her like a hot potato. But, but down the road, there was a young man who uh, actually loved her and served her. You know, in a situation like that, or when your spouse gets sick, yeah, you just can't call in a, a nurse and say, hey, you know, take care of my wife. It demands that you become even more of a servant in those situations than uh, you might ever have dreamed of in the relationship.
Wow. You gave, you, you mentioned that word yada, which is a uh, secret, secret knowledge, like an intimate knowledge. What's the English version? What verse does that come from? Where is that? If we want to dig into that a little bit. Well, if you want to dig into it, not necessarily in the English, but the, 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 the place where you really begin to see it is where you see in the Old Testament where it says, and, and Isaac took uh, Rebecca into the tent and they became, you know, they became uh, husband and wife. It, it, that's where this yada thing comes in, right from Genesis. And it sets the tone. And it's not just in marriage. There's a yada that should be taking place in your relationship with God, with Christ. How, how deep of a relationship do you have with him? Does he reveal the, his, his secrets like he did to Abraham out in the, in the, in the wilderness? Um, God has an infinite uh, depth and love for us. And see, that is where the foundation comes that you love others, starting with your wife. You know, I think of one counseling case where a um, guy comes in and we sit down, we do our prayer, and we're getting ready to counsel. I did biblical counseling for five years in Albany. I think you know about that. And the the first thing out of his mouth is he opens up a legal pad and gives me 42 problems with his wife. And the last one was when she flushes the toilet, the toilet paper doesn't go down. And what do you think of that? And I said, well, I think your wife has a lot more patience than I would because I would have divorced her a long time ago. <laughs> you know, I didn't come here to be insulted. No, you came here for help. Shut up and sit down. But 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 you get the idea of what I'm talking about. You know, what is, if, if you're a couple, what is your five-year or 10-year or 20-year plan? What are your goals? Are they all yours, mister? Or is, is your wife's intertwined with that? Have you compromised on that? Um, you know, it, it's, it's a negotiation. It's a love. It's a servanthood. Um, you know, I do things for my wife that I can't stand and vice versa. But the more we do them, the more we like to do them together. So. You know, what can I say in that department? But it is a deep covenant marriage. You shouldn't be going around talking about your finances, your sex life, et cetera, et cetera. Those are covenantal things that uh, you have between the two of you. Yeah. So, Austin, I've heard you say in the past, you know, you talked about there's this attempt to make us kinder, gentler. And I've heard you talk about that's not the way God designed us to be necessarily as men. Can you elaborate a little bit more on this this dangerous aspect within the heart of a man and how that expresses itself in a healthy way, what it's supposed to look like? I, I think part of it has to do with our concern for our kids. Um, you, you know, when you are, let me put it to you this way, you have a vision for your child. But that might not be your child's life. And you you might run into situations where you're totally disappointed in your children. And so some people, what they do is they yell, they scream, they, they punish. I had a situation recently where um, somebody approached me because their child was having uh, some problems with gender dysphoria. And he's like, well, I don't know what to do. I, I keep on doing this and that and the other thing. And I'm like, trust in God. Kids go through stuff like this. Kinder and gentler in a real masculine way. 
is when you see a young child and you stoop down to be on his level eye to eye and you look for those golden moments to impart. If you rule, you look for those golden moments where your kids, where your wife, where your peers are are coming to you with questions in sincerity and, and just don't blow them off with that. But the real macho guy, the real false guy has to really make himself look like he's got no problems, like he's got no emotion. You know, guys have emotion and we we need to be a little more uh, along those lines as well, a little more compassion, a little more gentler, but not in the sense of what feminism wants us to be. Feminism is saying that the woman needs to become a man and the man needs to become a woman. And I think that's kind of the root of what's gone on with this whole transgender thing. You know, there's an excellent book by uh, Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And if you're not into it, he wrote another one, which is a shorter edition called Strange New World. And what he shows in there is that the sexual revolution has put the whole society in a situation where instead of God being the center of our lives, we're the center of our life. We get to choose everything. And if you don't like what I'm choosing, well, then you're the problem and you're preventing me from being my true self. What are we seeing in the transgender movement right now? We're seeing the exact same thing. I want to be a woman. Well, you're not a woman, you know. Your 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 genetic makeup doesn't change because of your desires. It's like I was saying with the Matt Walsh thing. It's to come down into reality and understand. And Truman really gets into the history where all of this has started and gives you a real clear perspective of uh where it's going and how it's getting there. Kinder, gentler, yes, but not in the sense of um not in the sense of of removing yourself from the leadership positions that God has given you. And there's an equality in leadership, by the way. I don't want to make it sound like I'm down on women because I'm not. You know, I thank God for my wife and I thank God for people that are in ministry that are women as well. But we have to be at a a, a balance. And I believe the scripture gives us that balance. You know, in the New Testament church, men and women served side by side. It wasn't this thing of like, hey, you know, I'm the man, you know, shush up and be in the corner with the kids. They were partners. And and we need to get back into some of that as well. But not in the sense of what we're seeing in the feminist movement, which is the removal of the man's authority over the woman. And authority is not a sense of domination. Authority is a sense of love that you're willing to die for that woman. I'll give you one last story. When we were um, uh, courting and I was trying to make a decision and and should I ask uh, my wife's hand in marriage, uh, there was a moonlit night while we were walking down in the, the stream near the college. And I looked at her and I said, if somebody put a gun to my head and asked you to deny Christ, what would you do? And it was a perfect way of breaking up a nice romantic evening because she started bawling like crazy. And then she said, I'd have to tell him to shoot. And that was the answer that I was looking for. And I think it goes either way. Our relationship with God comes first. The love that we experience from God motivates us as men to be servants not to be dictators. And being a servant to our families, what does that mean? It means our daughters are secure in the vision of what they uh, are looking for in a husband. 
our sons are secure in who they are. They know what they are, and they know the God-given uh, abilities that they have. And we further a generation by imparting to our kids, serving our wife. We we are serving a generation, an upcoming generation, to be the leaders of the kingdom of God on this earth. And that's why I think some of these things are extremely important. That's why I think the Truman book is extremely important. And that's why I think that we need to stand uh, on biblical principles during this time of cultural turmoil. So, Austin, I mean, there's so much more we can unpack. We're going to do a part two at some point. Um, But for right now, for the guys that are listening, I want you just to charge the men with those guys that maybe they haven't been the leader in the home they're supposed to be. And we have, you know, let's just talk to the man who's raising a family right now. What's the one thing? What's one step he can walk away from this conversation with to be more mindful of or to take action on? as he starts this journey to reclaim his God-given authority, leadership through service to his family? Uh, Two things. First of all, you're not the king. Second of all, listen to your wife and your kids. And as you listen to your wife and your kids and you keep them in constant prayer, God will give you a softening of the heart we see this in the Old Testament where the heart of the fathers turned to the children and the children turned to the father. If you've been working those 70, 80, 100 hours a week, you're selling yourself out thinking that you're getting money where in reality you're selling your family down the river. It would be much better for you to invest the time that you're investing in your career and advancement to investing it in your sons, your daughters, and your wife. Because someday the sons and daughters, sooner than you think, are going to leave. And you're going to wake up one morning in bed, looking over at your wife, and both of you are going to say, who are you? And that's the tragedy. Even though you have everything, you've lost the most important things in life. My father, when he had an operation, uh, I visited him in the hospital. And he began to reflect upon his life. And when you get to that stage where death stares you in the in the face, it's going to ask you, so what did you do? And the Lord's going to do the same thing. What did you do with your life? My father's reaction was his reflection on his relationship that he had with my mother and the kids. And when it all boils down to it, that's the most valuable, that's the legacy that you're going to hand down to generations. Invest the time in your family. Serve them with all your heart, with all your might. Love them. Cherish them. Your daughter who's on crack or whatever or is telling you that she's going to be a lesbian or whatever, just love her to death. And God will do things in the long haul that will amaze you. Awesome. Austin, thank you so much for joining us, sharing your wisdom. Guys, this is my takeaway from this. It's something that we talk about often Lead yourself first, lead your family, and then you're qualified to lead your world. Until the next episode, let's raise the standard. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If what you heard here today resonated with you and you want to fully step in to be the man that God created and called you to be, then I want to give you a free guide. It's called The Map, and you can get it at standard59.com. In the map, I will give you 12 biblical strategies 
that every kingdom man pursuing biblical masculinity must honor. If you're ready to step off the sidelines and pursue the upward call, then get the map today at standard59.com. That's standard59.com. Hey, if there's a brother in your life that needs to hear this message, then share this show with them. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps get the message out there to more men. Until the next show, guys, let's raise the standard.